This morning's scripture reading will be read from Mark chapter 15, verses 15 and 16. Mark chapter 15, verses 15 and 16. And so Pilate, willing to content the people, released Barabbas unto them and delivered Jesus when he had scourged him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away to the hall called the Praetorium, and they called together the whole band. Good morning and welcome again to our worship. We're grateful for your presence. We are always grateful for the opportunity that we have to be together today and every Sunday to worship God in spirit and in truth. We're thankful to those of you who are visiting. As always, we encourage you to come back and be with us. We are grateful for those who frequent our services and those who may be looking for a church home. We invite you to consider the work here. We would welcome the opportunity to have you come and join hands with us as we do everything that we can to bring honor and glory to God and to expand the borders of his kingdom in this community. We're going to be looking in just a few moments at the book of Mark and Isaiah read for us a moment ago from Mark chapter 15 reminding us of the fact that it was Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who willingly allowed himself to be put to death on our behalf. The Bible says that he was scourged, he was beaten, and later he was crucified. In chapter 16, we are confronted with the risen Savior, Jesus came forth from the grave three days after being put to death. And thus, before ascending to heaven, set forth the marching orders in verse 15. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. I want us to think for just a few moments about the subject of New Testament baptism. There are a lot of people in the religious world today that misunderstand what baptism is all about. We might ask ourselves, is it merely an option or are we obligated to be baptized into Jesus Christ? As we think about that, the first thing that I would call your attention to has to do with the place of New Testament baptism. I would imagine that even to the most casual of readers, that the subject of baptism is one that is very familiar. Because when you begin to read the New Testament, you find that over and over again, this term is found. As a matter of fact, in the original Greek language, the word baptism or wash or washing is referred to some 127 times, which I think suggests to us the prominence of this subject. Now, it's interesting to me that when you begin to peruse the New Testament, that you find 
not just Jesus talking about the importance of baptism, but other New Testament writers. Again, underscoring to us the prominence of this subject. Take, for example, the book of Acts. If we were to profile the book of Acts, we would find out that there are ten cases of conversion found in the book of Acts alone. And one of the things that I think needs to be borne out in our study is that in each of these ten instances, those who are said to become followers of Jesus were baptized into him. We begin in Acts chapter 2, where Peter preached the first gospel sermon. He told those people who were assembled in the city of Jerusalem on Pentecost that in effect they had crucified and slain the Son of God. In verse 36, he said, Let all the house of Israel know assuredly that this same Jesus whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. Now Luke tells us in verse 37 that those who were assembled on that day were cut or pricked in their heart. In other words, this message resonated with them. And so as Luke said, they were cut to the heart. They cried out then to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And here's what Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins. In verse 41, Luke tells us that those who gladly received his word were baptized. And there were added unto them in that day about 3,000 souls. So here you have the glorious beginning of the church that exists in accordance with God's eternal plan, Ephesians 3, 9 through 11. It was prophesied of by such men as Isaiah and also Daniel in Daniel chapter 2. But nonetheless, Peter preached the first gospel sermon and those who were present heard the word, believed it, and obeyed it. They were baptized and thus added to the church, Acts 2, verse 47. We turn over to chapter 8. And there we read of a persecution that swept the early church. And the Bible says that those who were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Philip, however, went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. Acts 8 verse 5. This is in accordance with the statement made by Jesus in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 when he said, You shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. The gospel now moving beyond the borders of Judea into the Samaritan people or toward the Samaritan people. But in verse 12 of Acts chapter 8, Luke said, When they believed the preaching of Philip concerning the kingdom of God, the name of the Lord Jesus, they were baptized, both men and women. So here again is another account 
People being converted to Christ, and what did they do? They were baptized into him. Same chapter. We read of a man that had been to Jerusalem to worship. He was a eunuch. He was a man of great authority. He was on his way back home, and he was reading from the book of Isaiah, chapter 53 specifically, about the suffering servant, the Messiah, the Son of God. And he questioned what he was reading. Now, the Bible tells us that Philip encountered this man and asked him the question, Do you understand what you're reading? His response, How can I except some man guide me? Now, Luke tells us that he got up into the chariot and beginning at that same scripture, preached unto him Jesus. Now, the Bible says in this narration of conversion that when they came to certain water, the eunuch asked, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Now, now let me just pause here and ask this question. How did this man know about New Testament baptism? The Bible simply tells us that beginning at this same scripture, that is in Isaiah 53, that Philip preached unto him Jesus. I submit unto you that to preach the man, you have to preach the plan. It's as simple as that. If you're going to preach about Jesus Christ and all of the rich blessings associated with the Christ, then you need to tell people what they have to do to associate with the Christ, that is, to enjoy fellowship with him, to receive the abundant blessings that are found in Christ, as Paul talks about later in Ephesians 1, verse 3. Now, we find that the eunuch made the confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. And then Luke tells us that they both went down into the water. And this eunuch was baptized. So here is another account of a man hearing the gospel, believing the gospel, obeying the gospel. That is, he was baptized into Christ. In chapter 9, we read of the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. Saul later became known as Paul, one of the great missionaries in the early church. He was a great evangelist. But Saul, in recounting his conversion story, in chapter 22, verse 16, said that Ananias, who was a human instrument, the very man that the Lord sent to speak to Saul of Tarsus, that this man said, Why tarriest? Why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins calling on the name of the Lord. So here again, another example, another case of conversion. In chapters 10 and 11, we read of the conversion of the household of Cornelius. And in chapter 10, verse 47, the apostle Peter commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Again, another conversion story. Chapter 16, we read of the conversion of of Lydia and her household. They were all baptized according to verse 15 in Acts chapter 16. Again in that same chapter we read of Paul and Silas. Two individuals that engaged in missionary efforts on behalf of the Lord. They had been beaten, imprisoned in Philippi. Their feet were fastened in stocks. At midnight they prayed and sang praises to God. An earthquake occurred. 
The doors to the prison were opened. Their chains were loosened. And the keeper of the prison was about to kill himself. And the apostle Paul and Silas cried out, do yourself no harm, for we're all here. Now the text tells us that this man then cried out, what must I do to be saved? And the Bible tells us that they responded by saying, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. Now again, if you look at the context, you find that Paul and Silas began by preaching to him about the Christ or Jesus. Now somebody might say, why then did he say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved? Well, you have to understand, this man was a pagan. He was a heathen man. He needed someone to believe in. And so the beginning point in this man's religious life was faith. If you go back to Pentecost, as recorded by Luke in Acts chapter 2, those people believed in the Christ. Peter pointed out to them that they had crucified and slain him. They knew who Jesus was. But this man needed to know about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then the Bible tells us in relationship to his conversion that he took them the same hour of the night, that is the jailer took them, Paul and Silas, the same hour of the night, washed their stripes, and was baptized, he and all of his. That is his household. They were baptized into Jesus Christ. We turn over to Acts chapter 18. And there we read of a man by the name of Gaius. Turn if you would to Acts chapter 18 for a moment. Because I want you to see something there that I think is very important. In Acts chapter 18 and verse 8. The Bible speaks of the Corinthians hearing, believing, and the Bible says they were baptized. But in this context, we read of a man by the name of Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue. Now note if you would what is said in verse 8. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household. And many of the Corinthians hearing, believed, and were baptized. Now, Somebody might say, nothing is said in this context about Crispus being baptized into Christ. It only says that he believed in the Lord along with his household. But if you turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 14, when Paul writes to the saints there, he says, I thank God that I baptized none of you save Crispus and Gaius. So what's the point? You have two more cases of conversion here. The first case, Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue. The second, those who lived in Corinth, who heard the word, believed the word, and were baptized. And then finally, we look at Acts chapter 19. In the 19th chapter of the book of Acts, we read of the Ephesians. These people were commanded to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. You have ten cases of conversion. Each and every case of conversion... You have the same things taking place. That is faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. You have to have faith to be pleasing to God, Hebrews chapter 11. And then you have repentance. That is a turning away from sin. 
Then you have what? You have confession, confessing the good name of Christ. And then finally, you have baptism. People being baptized into Jesus Christ. So we have the place of baptism, but now let's think for a moment about the purpose of baptism. It's very important that we understand the purpose of New Testament baptism. Now, I begin by calling your attention to the fact that this book that we call the Bible is simply a pattern. That is, this is the book that we look to to find out how we live acceptably in the sight of God. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13, Paul said, Hold fast the form or pattern of sound words which you've heard of me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. So this book is a pattern. And you and I can look at this pattern and find out what we need to do to become New Testament Christians. We can, we can learn what we need to do to be members of the church that we read about in the first century. We can read in this book about what we need to do in terms of acceptably worshiping God on a regular basis. And the list goes on and on. But as we think about the purpose of baptism, the first question I guess we would ask, what is baptism? There are a lot of people in the religious world, they misunderstand what baptism is. Baptism is a submersion in water. It is a burial. It is pictured in the Bible as a burial. It is noteworthy that in John chapter 3 verse 23 we read that New Testament baptism or baptism requires much water. Think for a moment about Acts chapter 8 when Philip and the eunuch both went down into the water. Now, there are some people that will sprinkle and pour for baptism, but that's not really what baptism is, scripturally speaking. As a matter of fact, that is foreign to the New Testament. New Testament baptism is immersion in water. It is submersion. It is a burial in water. In Romans chapter 6, In verse 3, Paul said, Know ye not that all we who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him in baptism. There's the picture. We're buried with Christ in baptism. In Colossians chapter 2 at verse 12, here's what Paul said. Paul, writing by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, Buried with him in baptism. We are what? We are buried with Christ in baptism. In baptism. That is, we are submerged under water. We are immersed in water. Nowhere in the New Testament do you read of sprinkling and pouring as acceptable modes of baptism. But then here's another question we need to ask. If if we ask the question, what is baptism, if it is submersion, then I think it's only logical to ask... Who needs to be baptized? In short, who are the subjects? What's the basis upon which a person is baptized into Jesus Christ? Well, the Bible says that sinners are those who are subjects. 
Nowhere in the New Testament do you read of saved people being baptized into Christ as an outward sign of an inward faith. Just recently, as a matter of fact, this past week, I was reading in the newspaper. And there was a gentleman who was writing about baptism, and that's exactly what he said it is. It is an outward sign of an inward faith. That's not what the New Testament teaches. No, baptism has a specific purpose. Baptism is required of sinners. For what? For salvation. For the remission of sins. Now let's just think for a moment. If baptism is for sinners, and it is, that would mean that those who are baptized need to do so in order to become right with Jehovah God. Do you remember what John said in chapter 3 as he recorded the conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus? Nicodemus came to Jesus by night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do the signs which you're doing unless God is with him. And Jesus said, Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus thought Jesus was talking about a physical birth. And so he asked the question, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now we said that baptism is for sinners. How do we know that? Well, Jesus said that our entrance into the kingdom of God is predicated on our willingness to be baptized into him. According to John 3, verses 3 and 5. Go back again to Acts chapter 2 on Pentecost Day. The Bible says that those people who were assembled were cut to the heart. They were pricked in their heart. And they cried out and said, men and brethren, what shall we do? And what did Peter say? Peter said, repent and be baptized. For what? For the remission of your sins. So again, we ask the question, who needs to be baptized? Well, sinners do. When you read the book of Acts, you find individuals outside the scope of spiritual safety, needing a Savior, needing the blood of Christ, believing in Jesus, repenting of sins, confessing the name of Christ, and being baptized. Now, sometimes individuals will isolate one verse, pull it out of its context, and build a theology around that. We have to understand that there is a figure of speech called synecdoche, which simply means a part put for the whole. Sometimes you might have certain parts, certain aspects of the steps of salvation in one place. But you piece all of those things together, and what do you have? You have the sum of God's Word. Do you remember what the psalmist said? The psalmist said, the sum of your Word is truth. In other words, the sum total of God's Word is, God, God's word is what? It's truth. So we appeal to what? We appeal to truth. 
Now, why should a person be baptized? Why does a person need to be baptized? The only scriptural, logical answer is salvation. Think about this. Baptism stands between the sinner and salvation. Is that not what Jesus said? He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Now, the latter part of that verse, Jesus said, He that believeth not shall be condemned. Now, somebody might say, Well, the Lord did not say, He that believeth not and is baptized not shall be condemned. Well, he didn't have to say that, did he? Why? Because if you don't believe in him, you will die in your sins. That's exactly what he said in John chapter 8. Except you believe that I am he, you'll die in your sins. That's adequate to condemn your soul. But he that believeth, number one, and is baptized, number two, shall be saved, number three. So baptism stands between the sinner and salvation. Baptism stands between the sinner and the remission of sins. Acts 2 verse 38. Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for what? For the remission, the remitting of your sins. Nowhere in Acts chapter 2 do you read of of the apostle Peter saying, recite this prayer. Nowhere. Do you read about the sinner's prayer in Acts chapter 2? In Acts chapter 8? In Acts chapters 10 and 11, in Acts chapter 16, in Acts chapter 18, in Acts chapter 19, you do not read of the sinner's prayer. Why is that? Because it's not there. I know that there are a lot of people in the, in the religious world that have been told to recite this prayer and you will receive the Lord Jesus into your heart. But let me tell you, in all kindness, in all sincerity... In all truthfulness, the sinner's prayer is not found in the Bible. It's not there. But you do find belief. You do find repentance. You do find confession. You do find baptism. Those are things that we can find for certain in the New Testament. Baptism also stands between the sinner and the washing away of sins. Acts 22, 16. Why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And then finally, baptism stands between the sinner and the kingdom of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, Paul said, By one spirit were you all baptized into one body. When we're baptized into Christ, we are placed in the one body. What is the one body? He's the head of the body of the church, Colossians 1.18. Why be in the body? Because Christ is the Savior of the body, Ephesians 5, verse 23. So why be baptized? Well, because you need to be saved. Because you need the remission of your sins. Because you need your sins washed away. Because you need to be a member of the kingdom of God or the church of Christ. Final question, when should you be baptized? In other words, when do you need to be baptized? Is it something that we could prolong, that we could put off? 
In the New Testament, you read, you read about people who were baptized immediately. That is, they did so with haste. Look very quickly at Acts chapter 16, verse 33. And I want you to note this passage. Verse 32, the Bible says that Paul and Silas spoke the word of the Lord to the Philippian jailer and to all who were in his house. He took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes, that is, the eunuch washed their stripes. Now note, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. Why immediately? Because they were lost. They were outside the body of Christ. They stood condemned in the eyes of God. They needed the cleansing blood of Jesus in their lives. And the only way to contact that blood was to be baptized into Christ. Now in closing, let me just stress this. When I say we have to be baptized, I'm not saying that baptism is what washes away our sins. The blood of Christ is what washes away our sins. But it is at the point of baptism that we contact the blood of Christ. I'm not saying that baptism and baptism alone is what saves a person. I'm saying that you have to have faith in our Lord, John 8, verse 24. I'm saying that based on the New Testament, you have to be willing to repent, Luke 13, 3. I'm saying based on the abundance of evidence found in the Bible, you have to confess the name of Jesus Christ, that he is the Son of God, Matthew 10, 32. And I'm saying based on the teaching of our Lord and the teaching of the apostles, you have to be baptized into Jesus Christ for salvation, for the remission of sins, for the washing away of sins, and all of those terms are synonymous. Now here's my question to you. Have you been baptized? Have you obeyed the gospel? Have you done what the Bible says you need to do in order to, in order to become a New Testament Christian? Now you might do something else, but you will not be a New Testament Christian. What we're concerned about is following the Bible. As Peter said, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. 1 Peter 4 verse 11. I'm not here to tell you what my opinion is. It's not what I think, but rather it's what the Bible teaches. And that's what I want to emphasize. This is what the Bible says. The good book. Have you obeyed the gospel? If not, we encourage you to do so today. If you're unfaithful to the cause of Christ, could we pray with you and for you? We know that God will abundantly pardon. 1 John 1, 9. Would you come as we stand and sing?